Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry, where we tackle social, political, and cultural issues from the perspective of unapologetic guests while highlighting citizen activists doing amazing things throughout the country. On today's episode, I talked to Manuel Oliver, whose son Joaquin was murdered on February 14th, 2018 in the Parkland shooting, along with 16 others. Since then, he's taken to art and activism to fight for everyone else's kids. Manuel and his wife Patricia started Change the Ref to empower the next generation of leaders to make changes to critical issues that affect our nation through education, activism, and conversation. I appreciate Manuel so much, and the strength he has to keep fighting is beyond inspiring. My name is Manuel Oliver. I'm fighting to protect your kids. I'm sorry. Not sorry. It began as an ordinary school day, and it was almost over when gunfire erupted this afternoon. I was in the classroom, and all of my ear was shocked. 17 people have been killed, students and adults. He was like, he didn't make it. And then I was just in shock. I just couldn't move. Oh, I had to carry me out the room. This is the 18th school shooting already this year. It is just mid-February. My daughter has no voice. She was murdered last week. Shot nine times on the third floor. We, as a country, failed our children. Nobody's had to deal with this, man. Nobody. It's our obligation to carry their names for the people who died so they tear them forward and change the world a little bit every day it doesn't make sense fix it should have been one school shooting and we should have fixed it my son joaquin was murdered by an american white male born here and my son joaquin manuel and patricia and andrea we came to this country to be safe that was the reason number one why we moved here that said, that is another problem, my friend. My son, Joaquin, again, was murdered by, by a problem that we have in here and needs to be solved here. Have you always been an activist, or is this something that has found you through tragedy? Um, it's been with me for a while. Um, I believe that the only new thing is the mission that I have now. I never thought I will be fighting uh, for my son. I mean, even if, even if I know that I understand that he's dead, he was murdered, but still there's a lot of fighting on his name. So I guess I've always been involved with social movements, but I think I was training for this big mission that I have in my hands right now. So do you think that this was part of your path? Uh, yeah, I, I could say so. Uh, and, and you know what? A part of me, it's um, happy that I, at least I have those skills to, to express myself in a non-traditional way. Um, I think if, if, if I wasn't been able to do that, I, I will go crazy because, um, believe it or not, having having the chance to to create this voice from Joaquin for Joaquin makes us feel a little better. Tell me what for for people that have not had to deal with that kind of loss. Tell me what that kind of tragedy feels like in your body. Um. It's the worst pain ever. You, um, when, when you have a kid, and you know this, uh, when your kid is born, you, you're ready to protect that little person no matter what till the day you die. I, you, ha you make that promise to yourself. Even if you don't say it, you, you still think it. I think having a kid is the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my entire life because, <laughs> because you're always living in fear. Correct. Correct. 
So I remember when Joaquin was a little baby and I saw him for the first time, I felt in love immediately with that little creature. And I said, and I thought, okay, this is a reason for me to, to protect someone, like to give my life for someone. So, so that was the deal. I was ready for that. And um, it happened what it happened and totally unfair situation. You lost the most beautiful thing that you, you have in your life. And, and I'm, I was going to say that you have to deal with it, but you don't. You don't have to deal with it. You have to fight because it's not, a, it's, it's not something that you just pass the page and say, okay, this is it. It's my destiny and, and I'm okay with it. No, that's not going to happen. March 24th, one month and 10 days after the deadliest high school shooting in American history, students across the country march for stricter gun laws. The same day, the NRA releases a video entitled A March for Their Lies, telling Stoneman Douglas students that if their classmates had not been shot, no one would know their names. We're traveling around the country not only to register people to vote, but also to serve as a megaphone for the people who are so often ignored for the communities that deal with gun violence in a way that ours never has had to. The young people of this country are inheriting the world. We are walking into the future, and all we want is for it to be a safer, better place. The Walls of the Man started as a way to honor the victims of Parkland. Hammering the wall, the sound of it, it's pretty similar to the shooting. So it became a very powerful tool. I think that um, that the work that you do is so important because, especially when we're dealing with the issue of gun violence, where people are so um, calcified in their political ideology that they lose sight of the human element of uh, murder, um, I think that the only way to really shift that narrative is often through the arts because it allows it allows us to to speak and to say things without being interrupted in a way that is tangible but also leaves room for personal interpretation. And I don't think there's any other medium in uh, activism and advocacy work that allows for that. I mean, when you think about even protests, right, there are counter-protesters. And when you think about uh, politics, there's the other side of, of politics. But art is the one thing that stands on its own. And even if your initial intention is not felt through the observer, they still feel something because they know that that experience that took you to create that is invoking some sort of passion or emotion. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit to that and what art means to uh, social justice and social movements. I, uh, well, you just said it in a, in a very beautiful way. I, I 100% uh, support every single word you said. Um, I also need to add that this is who I am. I am an artist, so I don't know how to do anything else. Well, that's the other thing about art is you can't fake it. Right. You can't, you can't become this. Yeah. Exactly. I, I didn't. I didn't start doing this because of what happened to Joaquin. I was already using art to express myself, and and in this situation, I try to use. Um, if if we want to go to the art and the way that I use art, I I try to use very dramatic images of my son, um, that will show pain and that will show an unfair situation and will show all the dramatic um, emotions that my family and, and, and another 40,000 families go through every single year. I, I always say that through art, you can impact people instead of trying to convince people about something. And, and impacting people, it's actually a faster way, a very faster way uh, of 
trying to convince people. So it's a very effective um, statement. Um, it has a lot of credibility coming from a father of a victim, of course. I don't need to add that. And 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 people engage with it, which is the other magical point that I I've been able to connect with kids, basically with the youth. And, and that's a great connection because that is actually the future of the nation. I'm here today with a bunch of kids trying to put together some graffiti wall in Portland. This is um, actually supporting the local kids from Portland to heal themselves through art. And I know it's possible. It happens to me every single day. And um, it will make you feel that you can do something. And, and, and that makes you feel better. Music and art is just so universal. So it really just helps people heal through that because we can all understand each other through it. And it's not like who's right and who's wrong because it's just art. I put on my headphones, I listen to the music that we used to listen together, and then I start doing my thing. Joaquin is right there with us. Joaquin is right there with me painting. It's not me being an artist, it's Joaquin being an activist. I mean, do the, do the ideas just come to you? Or, or is it something, like, how, what's your process in, in creating these pieces? Well, I, I was a creative director. I'm still a creative director, but... Now I have, um, I was a creative director in the music industry for seven years. And, I, and I've been painting for like 20 years or so. So the, the creative process, I already know. I've been, I've been involved. While I'm talking to you, I see the person who's next to me is looking at all the paintings and everything that is surrounding my office right now. And um, it's, it's basically, it's location in this particular fight. The location, the, the painting, the content of the painting must be in accordance of the fight. And there's no improvisation in here. Uh, there's a lot of thoughts, uh, writing, drawing. And uh, that could be a painting a wall in Tijuana, Mexico, in the borderline. And, and to make a point that is ex- affecting the immigrant's life in America. Or it could be a stand-up comedy for uh, to respond to Louis C.K. and his dumb um, uh, jokes. It could be whatever. It's the, the creative process is not only limited to the painting. The painting is a skill. Uh, the creative process is what really matters. How you put your ideas together that somehow will surprise uh, the audience. And they go, wow. And that way you keep bringing the attention and keep bringing the conversation. You guys ever heard dead baby jokes? I got a dead baby. His name was Joaquin Oliver, who's going to be 18. But now he's dead. And that's not a joke. What does art enable you to feel and overcome through this process of loss and grieving? Because, you know, it's interesting. When you think about there are, there are veterans or military that come back from war that have been injured, that have PTSD, that have emotional struggle, that have witnessed loss that have killed other people, that come back, that don't know how to process that, that that actually sometimes never even knew that they were artistic. And yet they come back and the only way they can express their grief and their, their uh, mental uh, capacity at that moment is through art. Um, and I wonder what it is about the process of creating that allows us to deal with our own pain in such a way? Well, it's um, creating the, the, the now, now I've evolved a little bit, a lot, in, in, in what the process is. At, at first, I was just an angry father, uh, sad, incapable uh, to express myself in any other way than this one. And, and I didn't plan the activations, the the artistic activations or, or exhibitions or 
or actions that I have done in, in a whole year with with enough time. Now I there's a lot of creative process behind. There is this is not a healing um, therapy like some people think. Mm. Uh, they've told me already. So is it, are you feeling better after you do this? No, it's not. It's not healing me at all. Um, so I I reached a point where number one, I understand that I'm still Joaquin's dad. Mm. And and because I'm his dad, I need to do things for him and protect him. On on February 14th, I lost my son, but my son still has me here. And and my my parenting is not over. And I have to work on it. Oh so, so, so I have to so get powerful. over I have to get over the idea that I'm a victim and I'm suffering and I need therapy and I need to feel better. That's not that's not what it really matters here. We need to change things and we need a strong people to be out there to go ahead with this battle and do things in a non-traditional way. That's what really matters. Uh, it's too late to bring Joaquin back. I get that. I already understood that. It took me a while, but I, I got it. I don't have my best friend and, 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 and only son with me anymore. So from now on, my life is going to be about this. And, and try to protect your kids and any other kid that is still in danger out there. When school shootings have become an American promise, when the Second Amendment chokes bullets into bodies, we were not taught that students could become soldiers at any time. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. We march because those words are worth more than our lives. Do you think that we have become desensitized to gun violence? Uh, as a nation, I, do you think that we just kind of look at it as, well, this is how it is? Because I have this conversation with my husband a lot where I say to him, you know what, we're making a very specific choice to raise our children in a place where they're more likely to get murdered by gun than, say, if we lived in England or Canada. So we're making a choice here. And I wonder how much of, of where we are socially and politically um, you think is desensitizing us to the really um, catastrophic uh, outcomes of of you know, people people that believe that they should be able to have their guns. Right. And and we all know that it's a risk. Even if you're a gun owner, um, you know that your kids are on are taking that risk every single day. Let's say that I was a gun owner, which I'm not, uh, I wouldn't have been able to to help Joaquin at all. Um, uh, even if I had seven guns at home. So I think that the statement and the and the the main point that we need to really bring out there as much as we can is that no one is safe. And but there is an industry that is planning to make more and more money, uh, regardless the consequence, even if kids are dying. And I'm not only talking about schools; I'm talking about everywhere. So the answer is yes. The nation the nation understands that. There is a risk that none other nation has. Uh, I come from Venezuela, all right? It's a very, very violent uh, country. And that's reason number one that I moved from Venezuela to America. But I've never heard, I've never heard of a shooter getting into a school that just bought legally an AR-15 and, and randomly started killing people inside a school. So that is an American tradition. And, and you can blame it on mental health. You can blame it on video games. But there's crazy people everywhere. There's crazy people in London. That was an example that you were uh, commenting about. And, and a crazy guy in London won't be able to purchase an AR-15. Right. And, and a crazy guy in, in Tokyo, neither. So violent games, video games are everywhere. But just 
people don't have access to assault weapons or to guns that easy. If you ask me where has been the, the, the one area where I feel that uh, I've been most frustrated and most stymied, uh, it is the fact that uh, the United States of America is the one advanced nation on earth in which we do not have sufficient common sense gun safety laws, uh, even in the face of repeated uh, mass killings. In Florida, to buy a gun, you do not need a permit, you do not need a gun license, and once you buy it, you do not need to register it. You do not need a permit to carry a concealed rifle or shotgun. You can buy as many guns as you want at one time. When I see Joaquin's friends out there being mad, demanding for changes, then I see a difference coming. Obviously, with policy and legislation, we're not handling this as well as we should be, but also socially and putting things in place for our young people to be safe or to feel safe, you know, like active shooter drills or or these drills at, at school, these lockdown drills. I think that we are we are causing more chaos for our youth um, and and triggering any if they have anxiety disorder or anything, they're, we're, we're making them so fearful at such a young age. And I, I just wonder what you feel about those those drills. Do you think that they're beneficial? Because usually, yeah. like when I was a kid, right, and we had uh-huh. those, whether it be a, a fire drill, whatever it was, the thing that made them work was that there was some repetitive nature to them. Right, like we did them once a month or once every couple of months. Um, with this, we're we're basically doing this once a year. So I'm not even sure they would be effective if something happened. And aren't we triggering any sort of fear that they would have innately anyway? And of course how, we are. Yeah. So yeah. I I don't. But not only that. Not only that. We are. Those are. Um, that's a way to accept what's happening. That's a way to be okay with right. what's going on. Right, and, great and that's point. my my first critic to any uh, measure that it that it's about protecting the kids in those ways. Like, yes, we need metal detectors in schools. Yes, we need bulletproof windows in schools. We need to arm teachers, and it goes crazier and crazier. And all those all those solutions are part of accepting where we are and not being able to change it. Uh, either because there is a lot of fear and a lot of power out there from the gun lobby and no one is willing to go ahead and confront them. And uh, But guess what? I am. I don't, I don't care. I don't have any fear and I don't have any... And I know that you are too. I know a lot of people that is able to do that because no, one, no one's going to hold us from protecting our kids. And I, I, it's funny that I'm saying this and I don't have my kid anymore with me. But I own that to my kid. I have to continue whatever ended his life in an unfair way and and defeat it. I, I need to keep on doing this. So I will not be part of a group that accepts those solutions as the solutions. I think that's like coming from an NRA table and say, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to arm teachers. So put more guns inside campus and the problem will be solved. Right. That is silly and it's not something that I will be okay with. Not now, not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Honestly, there were security guards on school campus who were armed and nothing changed. We need teachers, we need educators, we need people to shape our young minds and our future. We do not need a military war zone in our schools. Everyone talks about what happens if a kid snaps with a, re- with a, with a weapon, but what happens if a teacher snaps? If a teacher is in a classroom with, like the classroom I was in with 65 other students, what happens if a teacher gets angry and pulls their trigger on all 65 of them? We march because I no longer feel safe in school. Because the other day we had a lockdown drill and as my back was pressed up against the wall, I was waiting for shots to ring out. So I think in our work, right, uh, when we are fighting against... um, gun violence and we are fighting for gun reform, uh, we deal with a lot of people that 
are uh, do not want their guns taken away from them. And there are people that have um, interpreted the Second Amendment as being, you know, sort of a modified version of of whatever that gun was when when the Constitution was written. Um, and they relate the AR-15 to the Second Amendment. And I think it's such an unfair comparison. And I always at a loss for how to how to make my point with those people. Um, and I was wondering if you had something that you want to say to them or have said to them that you feel is effective to the people that are just like, you can't take away my guns. What would you say to that person? Well, I'm not planning to take away your gun. I don't want your gun. I, I never wanted a gun. I don't want yours. Of course not. Now, um, I do think that if you own a gun and you're a responsible gun owner, which is a title that they, some of them give to themselves, um, you should be as concerned as I am uh, about what's going on. You should be the first one to register your gun so so nothing happens and no one takes it away from you. And if that happens, you will know who took it away and who's responsible for for X and Y uh, or, or, or for just stealing a life to a family. So I believe, and I do like to use the, the gun control, the term gun control. Some people... Um, keep saying that that will b- move apart a lot of uh, sensitive people when it comes to, oh, no, this is gun control. I don't want this. But but I think you do want this. Um, gun control is pretty much like the um, seatbelt on your car. And and that will that was able to save a lot of lives. It's, it's just like the tobacco industry and how they were able to to understand that there were a lot of people was dying, was being ill because of these um, manufacturers doing something that would only bring money to their pockets, but in 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 nonsense will concern about the people. So this is the same situation right now. I I use a lot the analogy of the tobacco industry, not only because of what I told you right now, but also because it was such a powerful lobby, right? And as so much power that they could endorse any politician and and he will be voted. Um, imagine today someone running for office or for any other position in Congress or Senate that in any way is endorsed by the tobacco industry. Yep. He will have no chance. Exactly. So I, I like to see that uh, as, a, as a future of the NRA. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not, no one is taking cigarettes away from people. But but I I'm, I am making sure that whoever buys a package of cigarettes understand what's going to happen to them, or what could happen to them. The risk. There's a lot of yeah. So so that's how I feel about those uh, that keep saying that we're gonna we're gonna take away their guns. That's not at all what's going to happen here. We will restrict the use of guns. Yes, hopefully we will, and and we're going to save a lot of lives too. The gun culture in America is honestly unacceptable. This isn't people taking away guns. It isn't even reform. It is common sense. Uh, The notion that I or Hillary or Democrats or whoever you want to choose are hell-bent on taking away folks' guns is just not true. What I have said is, why don't we treat this like every other thing that we use? We used to have really bad auto fatality rates. The auto fatality rate has actually dropped precipitously, drastically, since I was a kid. Why is that? We decided we had seatbelt laws. We decided to have manufacturers put airbags on in place. We decided to crack down on drunk driving and texting. We decided to redesign roads so that they were less likely to have a car bank. We studied what is causing this, these fatalities using science and data and evidence, and then we slowly treated it like the public health problem it was, and it got reduced. We are not allowed to do any of that 
when it comes to guns because people, if, if you propose anything, it is suggested that we're trying to wipe away gun rights and, and impose tyranny and martial law. I uh, made my intentions, uh, my, my views clear. I did think we ought to extend the assault weapons ban and was told the fact that the bill was never going to move because the Republicans and Democrats were against the assault weapon ban, people of both parties. I believe law-abiding citizens ought to be able to own a gun. I believe in background checks uh, at gun shows or anywhere to make sure that guns don't get in the hands of people that shouldn't have them. Do I really need to explain you how high is this price of not having your son in your house, of having an empty room? Are you willing to lose that just because you're defending a lobby that is making money selling weapons? No. No, we're not. Uh, talk to me about Change the Ref. Well, Change the Ref, it's, it's a nonprofit that I started along with my wife as soon as Joaquin uh, was murdered. Um, the name itself is coming from a, Joaquin used to play basketball a lot. And, and during a game, he, was, he had a, a, an argument with the referee and he was thrown out of the game that day. I was coaching. He asked me to talk to the referee. I went to talk to the referee and I was thrown out of the game. Hmm. So, so then it's me and Joaquin going back home and he told me that we need to change that ref. Uh, it's not, there's no way that we can win a game with him. He seems like he's getting money from the other team or something. Two weeks after that, my kid was shut down. And I, and I start looking at the news and seeing how the NRA was giving money to some politicians and, and made that analogy so clear to me that that, it, that was exactly what Joaquin was trying to tell me that day. So we started Change the Rev to honor my son. We use art. We use disruptive actions. We have no limits when it comes to make statements. And, and I don't want to have any limits. Uh, and I will, uh, I, I promise my son that today, right now, while I'm talking to you, that nothing's going to stop me to uh, keep on doing what I'm doing. And, and hopefully, at some point, it will be worth because it's going to save other lives. And that's, believe it or not, the only resource that I have to be, to feel a little better. Not happy, but a little better. When you think about where we are as a country right now with this, with this administration and how it seems like every day we are fighting a new issue. We are fighting some sort of hurtful policy that this this president is putting forth or preventing helpful policy from being put in place. And it almost feels like every day there is a new protest or a new way to protest or a sit-in, a die-in, a march. I feel like we've done everything to try to use our voices collectively in a way that is impactful. And yet it still feels like we're walking or marching on a treadmill, like we're not really getting anywhere. And I think that that's one of the reasons why your work is so vital right now is because it breaks the for lack of a better word, the monotony of the fight. And it makes people stop in their tracks and either watch you create or have to look at something that you've already created. And I think when you are able to invoke any sort of thought or conversation, that is the seed that is planted for change. And I just want to take a moment because I know that the work that you do is hard. There's nothing easy about what you're doing right now. But I want to just take a moment and acknowledge you and say thank you because mm. your fight – and don't say anything because I know you're uncomfortable with this kind of accolade. But <laughs> your fight is making my job as Milo and Bella's parent easy-er. And I, I don't know any other way but to, to be by your side on this and to hand you over my microphone to 
wake people up to the fact that this does not need to be this way in this country, this country that we all love. We can change this. And why wouldn't we? Because you want a gun? Because you want to own an AR-15 and be like, I don't know, some action hero that you might see in a movie? Or a, or a, someone that's in, in the battlefield? Why would you want to be that person? Um, and so thank you. Thank you for, for showing up for this fight in your darkest days, but in a way that is um, inventive, brilliant, but also effective. Um, so that's it. I'm all, that's, you don't have to respond to that. That's not a question. So sh- I, Well, I, I do have to say something. I, I, well, I appreciate it, but I do have to say something. Um, thank you. And I, and I will explain you why uh, my thanks make more sense. I'm doing this because I need to do this. I am. I lost my son. I don't know how other any other father or mother will do anything different than what I'm doing. Uh, even with other uh, uh, directions, it doesn't need to be art. But I have to do what I do. But you don't have to do what you're doing, and you still do it. So as long as we understand, there's this this uh, conversation with all the respect that we're using here that I love. Uh, it, we will we will win at the end. And I will I, I promise you, I'm not going to stop doing this. I promise you. And, and I promise you, I'm going to be by your side the entire time. Okay, so then the deal. Perfect. Although we are just kids, we understand. We know. We are old enough to understand financial responsibilities. We are old enough to understand why a senator cares about re-election or not. We are old enough to understand why someone might want to discredit us for their own political purposes. But we will not be silenced. Just some other some other things that I th- I, th- I would like to give you the opportunity to talk about um, when you were invited to Washington for the first hearing to discuss gun violence. Can you tell everybody <laughs> w- about what happened there and and maybe just to give people a perspective of the inside of that room and how it felt? Because I think we sure. see everything you know through the television or through social media, but that obviously loses the emotion and feeling behind what happens. So if you could just discuss a little bit of that. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, that also shows that I'm not only a painter and an artist, uh, but I also can can handle a debate inside Capitol Hill or outside of Capitol Hill. I'm I'm I, I'm more than comfortable doing that. Uh, in both languages, in Spanish or English. That day I was invited for a hearing, the first hearing that will be discussed, the, uh, that will discuss the HR8 uh, bill that was only 100% about um, gun safety. That was, that was the issue. That was what we were supposed to be discussing. And, and the, the universal background checks, that, that was it. And, and at some point, these uh, members of Congress, they have five minutes to make their points. And there's this guy that I really, I swear to God, I had no idea who he was. His name is Matt Gates, And um, and he started talking about, as he was bringing his point. This is a member of Congress from Florida, actually from Broward, born in Broward. And and he decided to, to his, his point was, uh, we need to, we need to build the wall if we really want to solve this problem of, uh, People getting murdered by illegal immigrants, blah 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 blah. And then he 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 was trying to extend expand his message, and I decided to interrupt him. As we hear the stories and circumstances for those here, I hope we do not forget 
the pain and anguish and sense of loss felt by those all over the country who have been the victims of violence at the hands of illegal aliens. H.R. 8 would not have stopped many of the circumstances I raised, but a wall, a barrier on the southern border may have. And that's what we're fighting for. Mr. Chairman. Well, gentlemen, will suspend. The greatest driver of violence in the circumstances that I indicated was not the firearm. It was the fact that we have an immigration system that allows people to come here violently. We engage in... And I was really offended by him. And then he thought that he could throw me out of the room. He started pointing at me and, 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 and my good friend, Fred Gutenberg. Is there, a, is there a process in the committee whereby if the very same people are repeatedly interrupting the time of the members, that those people will be asked to depart the committee? Or is there... I will... Excuse me. If, if the gentleman repeats that or any other comment, I will directly be removed. I will directly be removed if he repeats it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I'd observe that's three interruptions of my time by the same individual and that the chair is not utilizing his discretion to remove that individual. I mean, that guy is a fucking piece of work. Is he for real? I mean, he comes at what? Yeah. It's unreal to me that he gets away with what he gets away with. How this yeah. person is representing constituents in a district, in a community, in the United States government. Well, but he doesn't get away with it. He tries. He doesn't. As long as... And but that goes back to job. what are we doing? How do we react? How do we react is what really matters here. And I was able to do that. And I and I feel happy that I was able to do that. Then he he made a, a, like an explanation. And I don't even care about the guy. Then every single interview for a whole week was about that guy. And I told uh, the reporters, I said, guys, let's go back to Joaquin. Right, but I can I tell you what, is, so. what, what the good part about that is? Is for an, a nation that had no idea about that guy, without even— Now they know, yeah. Without even you knowing that you were doing this, now they know that this guy is a piece of work. And oh, now yeah. the yeah. nation can do everything that we have to do to get this guy out of our government. We lose confidence in our government because we are told that nothing can be done time and time again. And we are tired of hearing that because we know there can be change in this country. Never again should a tragedy of this caliber happen in this country. Never again. Never again should students have to protest for their lives. Never again should an innocent life be taken while trying to gain an education. And never again should I feel guilty to be alive we will not be discouraged. We will not falter. We will not stop this movement because this is more than just us. This is everybody in America. This is for every single kid who fears for their life. How much has the community, the Parkland community, because it is so close-knit, how much has that uh, helped you along the way? And the reason why I ask is because I think that we have completely lost uh, a sense of true community until tragedy strikes. And normally, you know, communities will will come together and and do whatever we can to to lift each other up. But I'm always curious as to why it takes a tragedy especially nowadays, when it seems like so many, you know, decades ago, uh, a community spirit and a community love and pride was almost just a given. Well, communities where you choose to live. I mean, I, I, the whole thing about me being in Parkland, it's a, it's a mix of, of coincidence, one after the other. I mean, I'm from Venezuela, then I moved to United States, and then I decided to move to Parkland because the schools were safe and they were good and they were rated very high in 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 compared with other schools districts. So that's already ironic enough. The community itself um, shows a lot of support 
right after the tragedy. And then you'll see how the community starts slowing down um, in that way of supporting you. And, and, it, and it goes back to where it was before. That is a, totally an American tradition, I believe. This is a shocking thing that happened that should change a community forever. Uh, but I, but I need also to add that in my, in my personal experience, this is beyond Parkland and this is beyond the schools. And, and I decided to take that path of understanding that I have to look at this as a big picture. When I see this as a big picture, I see a big community, which is all United States of America. And, and I have a lot of support when I see the big picture. I have, there's a lot of Americans that understand what we're fighting for. And that way I will never feel frustrated because the community is not supporting me anymore. This is beyond Portland. I am flying to Boston next week. I am flying to New York in 15 days. I, I am going from one place to the other where there is gun violence to try to prevent it, to try to make a statement, to try to make a point. And, and believe it or not, I really think that 2020 is going to make a big difference uh, when it comes to choosing our leaders, because they're going to have they're going to have to start looking at other endorsements if they want to be elected. That's right. I can tell you that it's already happening, but it's going to it's going to happen really, really, really in in a in a higher level on 2020. Yeah, I think that anyone that does not make uh, gun violence prevention part of their major platform, they will not go far. Correct. People from Congress, where are your kids right now? Are they safe? Have you called them? When we called Joaquin, it was too late. He wasn't able to answer the phone. You want to talk about a national emergency? Here's one. I wish I never had to meet you, but <laughs> I wish that I did get to meet Joaquin. Yeah. Um, everybody that knows him, that knew him, loved him so very much. And that's only a testament to you and your wife. So thank you for Joaquin, and thank you for continuing to... Be his breath, be his voice, and be his heartbeat. And I really appreciate you, Manuel. Stay strong, Alisa. I'm going to. Don't worry. Stay you strong. You too. I love how okay. you're telling me to stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll see you around and we'll, we'll keep on fighting, all right? Okay. I won't, I won't leave your kids alone. I can't wait hey. to give you a hug. <laughs> Take care, darling. You take care. Have Bye. a good day. Bye. Sucks that, that it had to be like this, that, that school shootings are a thing that people talk about every day, and that it, it was him. I just, I still, I still can't put my head around it. Joaquin always loved to listen to music. He always liked to rap, loved to play sports, write poems and stuff. He was deep, he had a deep mind, and that's what I always respected about him. Never caught him without a smile on his face playing sports. He was all-around great kid and just brought the environment to a happy place. He's the most incredible soul ever. His heart was so big. He gave me so much love. Everyone knows that about him, that all, all he did was love. That's all, he is love. Gun Safety Bill of Rights. We the people face a crisis, a mortal crisis. Every year, tens of thousands of innocent people are killed or seriously wounded by guns. And yet, as much as we seek to enact gun safety and gun control legislation, we find ourselves stymied from doing so by the NRA and the politicians it owns. Armed with extraordinary financial power and political influence, the NRA militantly opposes any such effort. The time has come for us to act. 
thus reaffirming the Declaration of Independence, promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, acknowledging the disproportionate impact of gun violence on communities of color who have for too long been sidelined in this discussion, proclaiming anew our determination to secure a more perfect union for all who call our nation home, and asserting the fundamental truth that human lives are worth more than money, we hereby affirm, assert, and demand the following rights. The right of all of us, including those of all races, religions, classes, creeds, gender identities, sexual identities, abilities, ages, and locations to equal protection from gun violence. The right of all of us to know the extent of gun violence in our nation. The right of all of our children to live free of gun violence and to attend gun-free schools. The right of the mentally ill, including those who are suicidal, to protection from gun violence, including self-inflicted gun violence. The right of the people to have greater access to and influence over governmental policy than corporations and special interest groups. Moreover, to realize and guarantee those rights, we demand that our government places the prevention of gun violence high on the public agenda. We demand that the federal government funds rigorous, apolitical, scientific studies of the effects of gun violence in our nation. We demand action by federal, state, and local authorities to reduce and prevent gun violence in their communities by law enforcement agencies. We demand the reform and retraining of law enforcement and armed public officials to focus on de-escalation of conflict rather than the use of force. We demand that those who suffer the most from gun violence receive the most immediate remedies for gun violence. We demand laws prohibiting those with a history of violent or harassing behavior from owning or gaining possession of firearms. And we demand ongoing legislative efforts which uphold the rights stated herein until the scourge of gun violence is ended in America for all who call her home. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Sim Sarna and Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnik. It's edited by Josh Windish. Our production associate is Daniela Silva. Music by Josh Cook and Alicia Eagle. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry Not Sorry. Sorry Not Sorry.